welcome to another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at the case of Commissioners for HMRC and NCL Investments Limited. The citation for this case is 2022 UKSC 9. And this corporation tax case involves a number of companies who are subsidiaries for a holding company called Smith & Williamson Holdings Limited. These companies had accounting debits that arose because their employees were granted options to acquire shares in Smith & Williamson via an employee benefit trust set up by the holding company. Under International Financial Reporting Standard 2, the companies were required to recognise an expense on their income statements in respect of this grant, known throughout these proceedings as the debits. Even though granting these options did not require the companies to part with any cash or assets whatsoever, Under International Financial Reporting Standard 2, they technically counted as an expense, because in order for them to be exercised by the employees, those employees had to provide a service. In this situation, it is understandably hard to work out the exact value of these services, and so International Financial Reporting Standard 2 simply matched the value of the services to the value of the options. A slight quirk came from the fact that the debits had to be matched by a corresponding credit on the balance sheets of the companies, but this was relatively easy to resolve because the options originally came from Smith & Williamson, so International Financial Reporting Standard 2 simply required the companies to treat the credit as a capital contribution from a parent company. The current case came about because when the companies were working out their liability for the purposes of corporation tax, The companies felt that they should be able to deduct an amount equal to the debits from their profits, but HMRC disagreed. HMRC, in fact, lost in the lower courts, and so now they appeal to the Supreme Court, which is where we pick things up. The first question for the justices was whether disregarding the debits is a, quote, adjustment required or authorised by the law, end quote, within the meaning of section 46.1, of the Corporation Tax Act 2009. They held that when it comes to the computation of profits, there is no law that requires an adjustment to the company's accounts so as to exclude the debits. Profit is to be calculated using ordinary principles of commercial accountancy, and this is reflected in Section 46.1. While it is true that adjustments can be authorised by law, There is nothing in statute or case law that suggests such an authorisation is applicable here. HMRC did go on to argue that International Financial Reporting Standard 2 was less relevant in respect of corporation tax because that is more about a company's own profit and loss account as opposed to how much is owed by the taxpayer to the government, but this did not hold much water with the Supreme Court. The justices responded by noting that all of the financial dealings and balance sheets of a company play into one another to offer an overall picture of the financial state of the company. The second issue that came up in this case was about whether the deduction was allowed under Section 541A of the Corporation Tax Act 2009. This section states that deductions should not be made for, quote, expenses not incurred wholly and exclusively for the purposes of the trade, end quote. With that in mind, HMRC argues the debits in this case were not incurred because the companies did not suffer a loss in relation to them and were also not for the purposes of trade. 
The justices disagreed with the notion that an expense must be incurred in order for it to be deductible. Section 54 of the Act is not really about how profits are calculated, but rather what deductions should be specifically disallowed because they are incurred for some dual purpose. Furthermore, an argument by HMRC that the debits do not have any purpose because they arose from a transaction of which the companies were not a part was rejected by the court because the first-tier tribunal found that the debits were incurred for the purposes of the company's trades and there is no good reason to doubt that. The third issue was about whether the deduction should be allowed under Section 53 of the Corporation Tax Act 2009. That section says that, quote, no deduction is allowed for items of a capital nature, end quote. And HMRC argues that the debits are of a capital nature because they correspond to the capital contribution from Smith and Williamson. Unfortunately for HMRC, the justices once again disagreed with their suggestion and instead held that the debits were of a revenue nature and that the corresponding capital contribution does not change this fact. The final issue was about whether the deduction should be disallowed or deferred by section 1290 of the Corporation Tax Act 2009. This section basically allows for restrictions on deductions when those deductions are in respect of, quote, employee benefit contributions, end quote. This seems to assist HMRC's argument, but the definition in section 1291 requires the property to be held, quote, under an employee benefit scheme, end quote, and the Supreme Court held that the options in this case did not satisfy that definition. Overall, I think the most important thing to say in relation to this case is that the sort of loophole that we talked about has now been closed up by the government. Beyond that, normally when it comes to these types of cases, I can often end up being very critical of HMRC because they have chosen to waste taxpayers' money taking a case that has little or no chance of success all the way to the Supreme Court. I am not so critical of their decision to do so in this case because... Although they did lose at every step of the way, the decision allowed the Supreme Court to elucidate a number of important principles. The first of these is the key role that is played by standard accountancy rules, such as International Financial Reporting Standard 2, in offering a consistent guideline to those in the sector. If the Supreme Court had decided against these rules or carved out an exception, then this would have been more than a little worrying because it would have created a degree of uncertainty in regards to other similar practices. Secondly, and related to this point, the reliance on these standards is fine, even when they might produce an outcome that one might not necessarily expect. However, so long as there is a standard accounting practice that is not explicitly outlawed, then that will take precedence, even if it disadvantages HMRC. Taxation is, and remains, a creature of statute. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this podcast, and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. A quick reminder before we go that if you would like to support the podcast and help to keep it ad free, then you can subscribe to the paid version of my newsletter and earn yourself some nice perks, including more content from me each week, a free ebook on how to answer essay questions on a law degree, and much, much more. If that sounds like something you're interested in, then check out the link in the description to this podcast episode. Anyway, I'll be back with another episode next week, but for now, bye!